This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, if you don't know what Liquid IV is, well, buckle up because I'm going to throw you a game changer. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier that not only tastes great, but is a non-GMO electric light drink mix. Powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water can just do alone. One stick contains three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with five essential vitamins. Now, I pride myself on telling you about things that I either already like or just use in my everyday life. And I have to say, I've actually been a fan of Liquid IV for a long, long time now. I use it for everything from, you know, just long runs to stay in shape, all those late nights with those after hours or just when I'm feeling a little dehydrated. I turned to it so it could just, my God, set me straight, make me feel like a million bucks again, and just get me ready for the day. So please head on over to their website. That's liquid-iv.com to check out their amazing line of products. And get this, when you use promo code Art of the Beholder, all one word, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, if you need a little direction on where to start, I recommend Lemon Lime. Guys, you're going to love it, won't be disappointed. So please give it a shot and get more fuel for life's adventures. Now, back to the show. Greetings and salutations, all you beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Art of the Beholder, a show dedicated to all things eclectic in the world of art, where we do deep dives into deep cuts and help you understand why damn things matter. I'm your host, Novo Day, and today we're going to be talking about art in history, focusing on the poetry and literary writings of the Beat Generation. To hash it out, we are once again joined by our favorite poet, Miss Alexander Parsons of alexanderparsons.com. Welcome back. Oh, I'm so excited about this. I know. Thank it's, you. It's been brewing. We've been talking about this for a while. Mm-hmm. And you being a, I don't know, I'm not even sure if our audience knows that you are quite the poet. I don't think we talk about it enough. I, I yeah, you know, I always surprise myself with my, my strange. Uh, things that I keep secret from people. I'm, I don't even know if I'm conscious of it. It's out in the open now. Now, yeah. now the world knows. It's been a goal of mine to be more open. And every year I'm always like, I'm going to go do poetry reading. And I used to do them as kids. As a, when I was a kid, my mom used to have me go and go on stage at school. And I won a couple awards. Um, and then I just kept writing and writing. And um, I have I used to have tons and tons of books of poetry. I still have a lot, but there was like a weird fire that happened. So mm. um, when some stuff was traveling from um, New York to L.A. and I lost a lot of it. Your own but personal I, poetry? Oh, a lot of personal journal, all my journals since I was little. Yeah, I lost that. Uh, yeah, it's nuts. Like a lot of personal stuff was just gone. Um, but you can't take that shit with you when you die. That's true. That's true. As John Lennon says. So, <laughs> and we have the next best thing, you know, the the modern uh, platform to talk about these things and and give the world our own poetry and things like that is the podcast. So we get to do a little bit today because we want to talk about this subject. One because it has been, I think an incredible inspiration to you as a writer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I realized, man, you know what's crazy is the more I dug into this history and this period and these people and these artists and all these things I love to just sink my teeth into, I realized that this is another perfect art history 
subject for our show because it overlaps with so many of our like our three-part series on art history Mm -hmm. like these guys are rubbing shoulders and elbows with abstract expressionists and all this stuff and help change the game forever and i was like oh man this was another one of those those moments of destiny where i was like oh well this fits perfect into the progeny of our shows and what we like to talk about and how things have shaped us and how culture shapes art and art shapes culture so let's tell the good people why why are we talking about the beat generation or era today Because it's not only a milestone in the history of poetry and literary writing, but forever changed the game, as I already said. Revolutionizing concepts in both style and shape, as well as the very concept of what poetry could be, and most importantly, what could be in it. So essentially, these artists not only, you know, rewrote the rules, they burned the whole goddamn playbook and forever changed the game for us you know the the floodgates opened we were just like i already talked about abstract expressionists just like them changing the game and breaking down the walls for allowing future generations like us to create whatever we wanted they did the same thing with poetry and literary writing and here we are (laughs) yeah yeah they created a lot of uproar yeah. within um, the literary form of um, the, as we'll we'll discover there was a lot of like some of them got a lot of them got banned and oh God. poor poor Ginsburg yeah <laughs> you know, a, a lot Williams and Williams Burroughs and Ginsburg both got um, banned and were sent to court right for some of yeah. their obscene writing which was against a lot of what the amendment like freedom of speech and so it definitely pushed the boundaries of like this is this is my right to speak from my heart. Yeah, and it's everything. Yeah, they they lived an artist's life this group. They truly did. But they would talk what's what's crazy is how honest they were. How profound in their writing of 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 telling the world about their addictions and their hardships. Oh my god, yes. And um, and we'll get to that in a minute. Before we do, of course, we all need a little background. So starting in New York City in the 1940s and evolving in San Francisco in the 1950s, beat poetry was a part of, as already stated, the beat generation, which is the focus today, which was a literary subculture that focused on the rejection of standard narrative values, the rejection of economic materialism explicit portrayals of the human condition, experimentation with psychedelic drugs, and sex liberation and exploration. Often called beat poets, you may know them from a different name in popular culture, and that is the beat Nick, though they honestly, from the research I did, they kind of hated this term. And so a lot of them kind of viewed it critically by a lot of the major authors in the movement. The word beat itself was initially used in the context in the context of being beaten down, though through time it included the imagery of concepts that were upbeat, as well as even musical, like the beat of like the beat of music. So there is a lot to discuss today, but we're gonna take a little break. We'll be right back, guys. This episode is brought to you by Novella Adulteration. Follow adult entertainer Jessica Amber Starr as she embarks on a journey that will change her life forever. She not only finds herself in the industry, but figures out a way to transform herself and eventually become reborn. Find out how an adulteration, which can be found on Amazon in both paperback and ebook, available now. Now back to the show. 
All right, Ms. Parsons, we are back, and I want to start here. You know, as we like to do on our show, we focus on the artists and, most importantly, their work. And so I want to focus on poet and poetry first. And I want to start with the core group of the generation, and it's kind of unofficial leader, even though he fucking hated this, which is Allen Ginsberg. I want to start with him because even if people don't know this history or only took, you know, fucking art history 101 they probably most people know either the name ginsburg or ginsbergian poetry most people know alan ginsburg even if you've never even read some of his poetry so i feel like this is a good common denominator to then and then you know spread our our wings into a lot of the other poets from this generation and kind of go into a conclusion section. So we're going to start with Allen Ginsberg. And that's actually where I started. I started when I was researching the subject in peace. I started with 1956 Howe. Oh, yes. Yeah. And Howe is where to begin. Howe is, it's separated into three acts. And I will just probably tee up the conversation by Howe Act 1 to me. When I, when I read it for the first time, I was like, this is everything. This is life. This is, you know, from the most beautiful things to the darkest things. And I like this three struck three act structure poem. It's it's long form. It's kind of epic in nature. And what I learned right away was in, instead of classical poetry, you know, there's he he would use one word to often tie a lot of his pieces together, but it was more novel like to me in nature and narrative, like stream of consciousness. That's what I was gonna say, yeah, stream of consciousness. It was everything. It was it was both intellectual, but you know, as as we already hinted at, you know, he was not shy to be a little lewd, a little crude, a little blunt, and a lot hot, a lot of hot water for this, especially when it comes to sexuality or sexually explicit imagery. Yeah, when you have somebody like fucked in the ass or something, there's a part in the. He'll say cocksucker. He'll say you know, he's he's throwing his world, his life into your face hard, like punk rock hard. I think the best way, if you have never listened to Howell or read it yourself, the best way I think is to listen to Alan ginsburg read it um i think that's the best way at first because uh then i mean i think i read i read it first and then i went and listened to him recite it by like looking it up on youtube and stuff and i've watched documentaries but like when you read it obviously you have a way like any reader is going to read it with their own cadence and things like that but like how he does it is probably a little more musical. If I and what, once you hear him, like when, I think once you hear him like recite it and then you read it, you can hear, I, I hear him. Then I hear his voice. Like I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked. The way but his voice tone, it's so nostalgic for me. Um, he has this rhythm, that beat rhythm. I mean, I can't even just, it's hard to even describe, like when you're trying to describe someone's tone, you, you're like, it's, it's, be it's beautiful and it's dark and it's just this point where you're sitting there and I can like imagine, like I can hear all the sounds of New York, mm. you know, it's very like. It's visceral. Very visceral. Exactly. Um, and he speaks for all the generations. Like this, this is not just a stuck in time 
him it's universal he's speaking for like this the mind of the psyche and um what we go through not just on the streets of everyday life but also in our own mind and the streets of our like our narrow passageways that we go through every day so that's why this this poem is really really beautiful it's just it is stream of consciousness but there's a there's like a madness to it, right? There's like a rhythm to the madness. Absolutely. I actually am glad you used the word psyche because when I was trying to, you know, for all the people out there listening right now that has never heard of Howl or read Howl, it's, you know, it being divided into three acts, I was trying to think of the best metaphor or simile to describe it to an audience. And the psyche is, is really perfect. I actually likened it to the um <laughs> the id ego and super ego mm, of, of yeah. uh, poetry writing whereas um but it's not it's not balanced that way it doesn't go from the bottom up or from the top down it just like life it goes in a very random order so i act one to me is very ego you know it's very grounded mm-hmm. and then the, an act two when he's talking about moloch and stuff it's very otherworldly nightmarish that's like the super ego. That's like, you know, the world beyond us kind of thing. And then the last act is very it, very primal and and raw and hard. The one where he goes, Carl Solomon, I'm with you yeah. in Rockland. I love it just changes. And all of a sudden you're like, am I in a different poem? Like what? Different world again. It, the rhythm, I'm with you in Rockland where you must. I, I can't even give it justice when I say it because like I just the way his accent, like his Little New York, his like New York Jewish <laughs> accent is so adorable. I mean, I kind of just like in love. If I met Ginsburg and I was his age at that time, I would have had such a major crush on him. Even though he was like, you know, I wouldn't have, wasn't his type. He was gay. Sure. But like, I would have been like, can I please just like be your like platonic wife? Hang out and <laughs> go to dinner and drink wine together. I would have been and... a fangirl. I would just, yeah. <laughs> so adorable. I'm like, I think these poems like and this group really like I've always was in love with New York since I was a kid because my parents are from there and going there every year every summer and then I was like the way I discovered them if you don't mind me telling you how I discovered please um these poets it was just like I go on a little tangent corner yeah just kind of like I was really into as of course every college kid into Bob Dylan sure and I was watching I was really and they getting... ran in the same circles I found that fascinating as well it's like god damn it's like Dylan it's adding got up again a lot of his inspiration from Ginsburg, uh, Ginsburg right. and that was like his really big like his really big muse so I was very much like was watching a documentary and um then I was like I watched, um, I think it was that one film that Kate Winslet and all these different actors played Dylan. Do you remember that one? I forgot that movie. Yeah. And then um, I was like, who's that man with Bob Dylan? And they was talking about Alan Ginsberg. I'm like, who's that? I was like, just immediately fixated. I was like, wait, who's? I was like, oh, I've heard of this poem. I was like, oh, that's Ginsberg. And then I was Do like, Do you oh. have a favorite Ginsberg poem then? Or is it hard to pick? Um... No, is there one that... that you feel like you know sometimes i'm you know i i have it's not a poem it's a book but i feel like i have something that changed my life literally forever 
Do you feel like you have anything like that in the poetry world? A poem just in general? Like, or does poem it have just to in be general? Ginsburg? Yeah, it's... it could be a poem just in general. But I mean, if it's, if it's, a, I would like to hear your favorite Ginsburg poem though. But if, if it is something besides Gin, Ginsburg, I'll allow it. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's fine. Um, Jesus Christ, that's hard. Cause so all, many. so the, all of What's them the first are... thing? What's I the love first a, thing I kind of, America. America. Okay. There you um, go. Which is not, I don't, it's not on your list. And I don't think a lot of people say that, but I th- just like, cause it's been a while since I've read that one, but uh, I just, every time I like hear him um, recite or I read some of his stuff, I always can just hear the America uh, poem by Ginsburg. No, that now I'm looking very it up fitting. Now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I only put, you know, a, a few of the ones I knew I was going to probably direct my attention to, but there as, as we've, talked many times on these discussion sections there's no rules so like yeah if you want to dive into america or any of his other works please do please do so i'm looking for the poem so like i was like i don't know what i mean it's been a while since i've read it so i'm like where is it so i can like remember because i've been so i've been soaking up so much of like william burroughs and remember sure a little of everything else Yeah, i read junkie and naked lunch a long time ago and then i was just been um I never actually read any Jack Kerouac's books. Mm. I kind of refuse to because <laughs> every all of my like pretentious friends, college friends and like high school friends were like, oh, my God, Jack Kerouac is everything. And I'm like, God, it's fucking annoying. Before we get there, though, what a pin in that, because the reason I put Howl uh, down and the other the other major writing of Ginsburg, which is Kaddish in 1959, is because I feel like those kind of are you know bookends to a lot of his work you know they're like kind of his epic masterpieces it is there's like a movie done on howl there's like a lot yeah. a lot of like did it like 10 years ago they did it i think the movie's just called howl yeah and what's his and name frank what's his the fucking guy's name frank darabont no the the actor who played him Oh, I don't remember off the top of my head. But what did you I I actually what's crazy is so I started with Howl 1956. I that was the very first poem I read for this piece and the very last poem I read for this piece was Kaddish just this morning. Mm-hmm. Kaddish was yesterday. I re-listened to it. And you know, this is if you don't guys if you don't know so this is um about his late mother. Mm-hmm. Um and it kind of it's written in five acts and it essentially chronicles her life, you know, as she is is dying, you know, on on the road to death and then eventually her 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 passing, her death and then the aftermath of that death. And again, it's very, you know, it's it's apples and oranges to how it's very much a Ginsburg poem. You can see his style and shapes in there, all of his figures and how he would like to write poetry, but it's a completely different narrative beast, you know, and I already likened his work to novel writing or short story writing, or even probably the novella to a mm-hmm. lesser extent. And you really see this arc, this journey that you go with, um, uh, with the narrator, which is obviously Allen Ginsberg himself. And it is, I, I don't get very emotional with, you know, poetry or reading a book or things like that, but it, it really hit me kind of hard. I actually start. Yeah. When I, when we actually got to the death of his mother, I actually was tearing up a little bit. Is your mom, uh, is your mom still alive? My mom is still alive. Okay. But it it triggers that. It makes you think of like, I'm my mom's only son. 
And so oh, I do so have sweet. a very um, close relationship with my mom. She's probably hearing this, listening to this right now. And um, yeah, I mean, like I've said in other shows, I mean, like I, I wouldn't even be here. I mean, not only in the literal sense, but like mm-hmm. figuratively, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, you know, as artistic as intellectual, like I feel like I owe a huge debt to everything I became and who I am to my mother. So I totally get it. You know, I totally Mm -hmm. get Ginsburg's relationship with his mother and how it was so profound and powerful and her death was uh, life-changing for him. And he had to put it, he had to write about it. He had to put it into a poem and it became another epic long form piece of his. And it was, it was spellbinding. It is spellbinding. I, when you asked me, I was like, my brain went to America, but like, I just listened to Kaddish again. I read it a lot, why, multiple times a long time ago, and then uh, listening to it in the car, I, I was just like, I was so dramatic. I was like, oh, yes. I was like snapping my fingers. <laughs> like, oh, this little beatnik over here, guys. I know. My dad always laughs. He's like, I, I, that's really funny that you say that. My One Christmas, my sister got me all of Ginsburg's greatest all of his writing and um and then i also got a beret from my mom that same christmas so i was like so excited to get this big huge ginsburg book and th- and my dad's like what the his words were like what the fuck i didn't know you were gonna grow up to be a goddamn uh beatnik he's like i didn't like those people i used to walk down greenwich village and be like oh who are these weirdos i was like oh my god <laughs> what's even funnier is i feel like our generation our understanding of the beatnik is like the cartoonist caricature like we would see in comedy movies of like yeah there's pretentious like snapping their fingers instead of clapping mm-hmm. and um, i always think of the movie do you remember the movie how i married an axe murder oh, or something yeah. like that oh, i do yeah with mike myers and he was mm-hmm. a beat poet <laughs> oh, I and I, about I remember that. yeah i remember being a kid and being like is this what poetry is (laughs) i actually have one before we move on because we got to talk about the rest of the core group of the generation which consisted of jack jack kerouac william s burroughs herbert hunky and lucian carr uh i want to dive into the holy trinity which is ginsburg kerouac and burroughs yeah i'm going to give you a quick story my oldest memory as a little little boy my oldest memory of a profession I wanted to choose, I remember telling my mom I wanted to be a poet. Really? Yep, as a little, well, little boy. that makes boy. sense. You're a writer. So. Yeah, it's it kind of, yeah, I, I was thinking of like how I got here and I was like, oh man, I guess this is destiny in a way that I, I ended that. up going into writing and, and I do write. I don't, I don't think I, I, I don't think I've ever told you this. I have written poetry myself that I've mm-hmm. never shared with anyone because I knew I would want to turn that into a like music. So I've written a lot of songs and mm-hmm. those songs first start as poems. Mm-hmm. So there, there is a little backlog of poetry that nobody no, has. That's, in, that. that's in the vault somewhere. Oh, I know where it is. I but. think there's a romanticism um, on keeping certain things like a secret for yourself. You know, we like, um, yes, this one was so like, I've always prided myself and I urge everyone. Here's our, here's our um, PSA. We have one every episode <laughs> is, you know, when there's life is life, life happens. And when, terrible things happen i always recommend to especially if you're an artist to channel that into your art and i had probably 
actually before I met my wife, one of the worst breakups I've ever had in my life. And I just, I don't know what, I mean, I know that it was that, that was the muse, but I couldn't stop writing. Like I was writing and writing and writing. And they were all these poems that I wanted to eventually turn into to songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have this huge backlog of poems that I probably need to re uh, revisit one of these days. Maybe I'll put it out for you guys one of these days. But before we do that, yeah, one of these days, maybe I'll do that. We got we to gotta tell the good people about the next person on our list, which is Jack Kerouac. Now, I want to tee up the conversation with, um, let's first tell the good people his work. So he was both a novelist and a poet. His novels include On the Road in 1957, The Dharma Bums, Big Sur, and Desolation Angels. His poems are a collection of uh, poetry, like collections, works, um, was Scattered Poems from 1971, Mexico City Blues in 1959, Book of Haikus, and Old Angel Midnight. And there was a lot of debate, and Miss um, Parsons kind of hinted at this. Mm-hmm. There was a little foreshadowing, because a lot of people, you know, Ginsburg didn't want to be the unofficial leader of the Beat Generation. It just kind of, it just happens. This happens with art history, and people, we're, we're human. We have to categorize fucking everything, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he just kind of became it. Now, a lot of people that really dig into the history of this stuff, I found people would argue and say, no, Jack Kerouac is the guy. He's the goat. He's the best. Yeah. And I, I didn't really, as much as I respected his work and appreciate his work, just like a lot of artists I didn't I didn't fall in love with his work though. I didn't gravitate towards it. I didn't Same. I didn't personally yeah. feel like he was the goat. Yeah, I I agree. I've never read I mean I've read the Cliff Notes. I've know the the stories of his books. I've I've read some of his poems and I've I've heard him like I've listened to some of his readings, but I never I never was gravitated to him. He's very beautiful. He was like a handsome man. Crazy I think handsome. he was like yeah. the only one of the only straight men in the group. But he and all of them were kind of in love with him in a way. Yeah. Yeah. So they all looked at him like this optimistic, iconic man, because as they were more like a lot of their other poems, as far as Burroughs and um, Ginsburg and like um Lawrence Ferletti and them he they were more like in the darker streets a little more cynical right Right. and Ginsburg he had more an optimism about quote-unquote the beat generation right um and they looked up to him they were like almost like they like even in their poems and if you listen to the way they talk about him they like adored him um, cause I think and he became kind of a celebrity within the culture. He did. Know? And I think it's cause, cause he was like, he was so handsome. He was that classic, like, like strong, sexy, single man, mysterious poet. Um, he was a great, he read really well. Like when you listen to him reading, there was, you could kind like of a tell confidence about him and this, there was a sexiness, a confidence about him. You he could, was a performer more than he was just a writer. Him and Ginsburg sounded a little alike, but you could tell it's Kerouac with like his like Massachusetts, Boston accent. Mm. You're like that. Like it's like, like some of his poems. Hockey Hockey sounds yeah. like that. Yeah. I was like, what is, where is he from? I'm like, oh, yeah. Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he did speak a lot of that very rebellion, free spirited, um, uh, that mind where you're exploring that curiosity as like a high schooler 
a teenager those years. So it makes sense why people gravitated towards yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I bet a lot of people felt. I mean, like I, we, every generation feels that way. And then when you have some artist or someone, you can be like, oh man, he's he is speaking mm-hmm. about me. He's speaking for us. Even then, I can see how these people get put on pedestals. Because he he wrote from his experiences, and he it was so funny. He constantly was like changing the names, but clearly you know jack was jack kerouac was this character in his book and ginsburg was this character burroughs was in there burroughs yeah yeah. i love william burroughs but we'll get into that um shortly but there was all of them spoke a truth and a wavelength that was very much their reality because they had to it's just like any artist or poet like you have to be truthful or my sister says this a lot, like Marie, and something something that really resonated to me. And I was saying we're talking about acting and writing, and she, I was like, well, I don't think blah 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 is a great actor. And and she was like, well, that's because that person isn't even truthful to themselves, and acting is all about truth. Right. And she's like, and if and so is like writing and everything and being an artist. If you can't be truthful to yourself, then you can't be. You're not going to be a great artist. In, in a lot of different levels. So they were just completely always so truthful. And I think that's why it resonated with people during a time where truth was kind of scary, mm-hmm. right? So. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, like like we already talked about earlier in the show, they were, they were getting arrested for mm-hmm. writing, just writing obscene things, not doing any obscene things, writing about it. And, you know, talk about a different time, you know, Thinking that that would happen today it would would be mind boggling for, mm-hmm. for, you know, especially with the, the media we have today and what's allowed today, you know, would would just, cry, you know, make their minds explode that they were getting in trouble for these very minor things in retrospect. Yeah. So I have to ask them to transition. Why do you love William S. Burroughs? I was thinking about that a lot last night. And um, he's hilarious. (laughs) He's dark. I think as I love dark humor. I got to know him in the podcast you sent me. So tell the good people about that. Well, he's just like him and Ginsburg were clearly both queer, both really good friends. I think they hung out the most together. I personally love Burroughs because of his like, again, his honesty and how he took his addiction. There was like one poem where he talks about addiction but how we're all addicted to everything, addicted to TV, addicted to this. But he talks about addiction as an individual, like, no, mm. like not the person. I am addiction. And that's why he was he was talking about 1953's his novel Junkie and in, yeah. in, in conjunction to how we are junkies to so many things. Besides yes, that was just, in that. Yeah, yeah just thank the, you. Just, you know, more of the superficial things like drug abuse Mm -hmm. addiction or alcohol addiction or things like that. I think the most profound thing to me in that conversation was his ideas about that we are addicted and and that we are junkies to information. Yes. Like like we're all at fault for being, yeah, junkies. And that, God, that book, that book, it's not a very big book. None of his writings are very big. I don't think like they're like they're not thick. Enough. Long, you mean? In, yeah, they're not thick. Format. They're just profound and honest and and very raw and dark. And um, 
yeah, I just love that he speaks to you and connects things that I love when people connect the dots. And I think human beings in general were pretty good at it, but he was ex- ex- exceptionally <laughs> yeah, good, good at, at that. It. Yeah. And that, that resonated with me really well in that. And I just love how they like riffed off each other in that, um, in that interview at hearing them, their voice, hearing them just kind of like talk. You don't really hear that anymore. Right. Like the way they were talking with each other. You're like, Oh yeah. The, they were the very actual... distracted too. You're like, I'm like, wait, are you going to read a poem or like I want to cadence and on? the accent, you know, was a bit of a time capsule as well. Just like if someone's listening to this mm-hmm. 50 years from now, hundred years from now, they're going to be like, Jesus Christ. Those Americans used to talk that way. It was humbling. But did you feel like when you were listening to it, that, I'm like, are you guys reading a poem now, or are you just talking? Like, there was a good. <laughs> I yeah, it was. It was. It their conversation itself was stream of consciousness. Like, yeah. they would definitely bounce around to different subjects and subject matter. And I mean, we finally got. He d- definitely. He finally uh, read some excerpts from his 1959 novel, Naked Lunch. Yeah. Which talking about. <laughs> I'm glad you said connect the dots because mm-hmm. much like I hinted at in our intro how it was destiny to talk about this part of art history because naked lunch so naked lunch has a a steam powered dildo in the story named steely dan oh my that's god where the musicians <laughs> steely dan got the name I forgot about from that. that book naked lunch by william s burroughs he also went on to write the nova trilogy 1961 and 1964 cities of the red knight in 1981 and the place of dead road in 1983 his poems consist of cut up poems from minutes to go 1960 dead whistle stop already end 1962 spain in 42nd street where flesh circulates 1962 cold lost marbles 1972 and fear and the monkey never really read a lot of his poems um i read junkie i, I listened to, i was listening to you're them. reading more of the the novels i, I read yeah. the long time like in high school or whatever i read junkie i don't know if i ever finished naked lunch it, all of his stuff is usually about it's all about like drugs heroin user well he was a he was a heroin user he was and he was a well, he was a drug addict he was a, a hard drug addict so. yeah big time and i he just wrote about his demons and i i think he exactly. felt like he needed to write about it exactly i think that's why he survived for as long as he did he had this artistic form that he was able to release and he was addicted i think he was addicted to the drugs because it was also his way of creating this art like a lot of artists who get addicted to things like I can't create my art unless I have this drug. This is what helps me become my artist that I am. You know, studies just came out recently that say marijuana, a lot of hallucinogenic drugs aren't don't really help in that department. A oh, lot of that was Yeah, that it was a lot of delusion over the years. I think because People would say that so much, they just believed it. They're like, oh, well, I feel so inspired. It's just opening my mind. And uh, there's like psychological studies being conducted right now and and have been in the last few years that are really trying to say, try to try to truly answer that objectively. Like, is this making us more inspirational, smarter, more, you know, um, creative? And the short answer is no, that's really not. That's really because this whole group believes that that very much helped them, that they got experimented in LSD and drug, different drugs. I think, you know, I, I think, yes, drugs is going to, definitely change your mind i feel like probably the experience itself like the like the aftermath like when you actually get sober and you come out of it and you're like 
whoa, that was a life changing, life altering event in my life. I bet like that stuff is more inspirational and helping to fuel the creativity than purely, I guess what the researchers were dedicated or trying to, trying to understand in my example is like, is it truly the drugs itself or the experience of the drugs? And they were first trying to just answer the first one. Is it the drugs themselves that are making people more creative? Because they're sure have been saying it for a long time. And yeah, the short answer is no. And, but I, I okay, think. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I think that pr- that has to be the experience of just like when you go travel, when you experience something profound in your life, you're traveling to a culture you've never experienced in your life. That's going to change you. To round out the group, uh, we also have Herbert Hunky and Lucian Carr. Hunky wrote things that include Hunky's journal of poems, yeah. The Evening Sun Turned Crimson, Guilty of Everything Again, The Hospital, and From Dream to Dream. And I didn't, I didn't, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on okay, Hunky yeah. and Carr. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't the biggest fan of, he was a cranky little old man. <laughs> I think it's important to like understand that these five men were such an artistic collective, a troupe that helped almost like a band writes music. They were like a band of brothers to help each other write poems and books. And I felt, I felt like that is important an important part of the history that such a unit, a collective, a brotherhood that, you know, they would inspire each other. And then not always through the best means, kind of like in in the vein of the heroin addiction stuff. Um, They would not always be the best influences on each other, but an influence nonetheless, they would definitely help push each other to create new and provocative and innovative things. And I felt like that was an important piece of the history. Yeah. Herbert, Herbert Honky is a, I think they definitely used a lot of uh, Kerouac used him and other people used him as like a, because he was such a character because he was like a hobo. I don't, that's the word that Wikipedia hobo. referred him to as hobo. Wikipedia said hobo. Wikipedia no shit. <laughs> he left Chicago as a like teenager. a colloquialism too, you know. Living didn't as say a person in poverty or homeless person. Yeah. He's a hobo. This is living oh, as a well, hobo jumping on, trains. Wikipedia, lock your shit up, that's God. Like, that's why we don't have nice things. Jesus laughing. Christ. But yeah, that rounded out the troop. And um, but this was not I think what's important for people to understand was as much as this was a lot of driving force of this, this generation, this history, this era to create new and innovative things Mm -hmm. in this form. These weren't the only ones. So we need to give a little love to the other poets that are considered part of the beat generation. So I'm going to go through them really quick. So bear with me. Jack Gilbert. Eddie Parker, Leonard Cohen. We did a show on him already. The musician. Click here. Joyce Johnson, Robert Bob Kaufman, Carolyn Cassidy, Gregory Corso. Really liked his work. Hetty Jones, Lawrence Ferlinghetti, Joanne Kiger, Richard Brodigan, Harriet Somners Swirling. That's quite a name. Michael McClure, Diane DePrima, Jack Hirschman, Bonnie Bremser, Kenneth Patchen, Ruth Wise, Lou Welch, Kenneth Roxroth, Gary Snyder, and Philip Wallen. And there's probably more. So if you guys have any additional authors, writers, poets you'd like 
like us to acknowledge, please put it in the comments. But of all the other writers besides the core group that I, I have to say I really fell in love with when I was reading mm-hmm. so many poems, so many <laughs> poems in the last two weeks, was honestly Diane DePrima. I, I was going to mention really her. I really loved yeah. her work. Jesus I, Christ, she was good. She had some beautiful, I mean, I can't think of them off the bat. She had some beautiful, beautiful poems. She really lived in that moment. A lot. It's, it's unfortunate, unfortunate that a lot of the men got, of course, the most of the attention. Well, uh, that is, I mean, I wanted to definitely bring in the ladies because that is an unfortunate reality of all of history. Not only not only art history, but the men get the spotlight and the women are pushed into the shadows when there was a lot of amazing female writers at yes. this time. So that's yeah. why we wanted to give them equal time with the 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 honorary, you know, honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. But I mean when we when I've in our other shows, we have to we we would have to go out of our way to really try to find the history of how the the women influenced a lot of the art, whatever it may be, you know, with surrealism or avant garde or what have you. Yeah. So there was always a lot, but it's just a shame that historically do not get the recognition they so they so deserve. Yeah, I think we forgot to mention Neil Cassidy too. He was a big like part of that kind of like figure in the beat generation during the psych- psychedelic culture. Um, he was, I think, it says he was prominently featured um, as himself in the scroll of the version of Jack Kerouac's On the Road. So hmm. uh, I don't know if he how many. But he, I think he just, he got, you know, he went to jail a couple of times, but he, he was just a really big figure and inspiration for that group. And yeah. I think he went to, I don't know if he visited and went to Columbia, but a lot of them also, like Allen Ginsberg went to Columbia. I think Jack Kerouac, a lot of them went to Columbia. Burroughs went to Harvard, I remember him saying. Burroughs went to, of course. So yeah, th- you can tell when you hear these men talking that they're such intellectuals. They're such like, just so fucking smart and but yeah so just he was like a the big wicked smart the wicked smart but i don't know wicked smart he like helped cat like cassie i don't think he wrote a lot of books i'm looking to see if he wrote anything he did write some stuff but he was more like a, i hung out with them and he inspired them and they they talk about him in his poems like and now like alan ginsburg did it with um solomon who i think he was in love with solomon and he dedicated um i think he dedicated howell to solomon he was a soldier i want to i want to say in the history solomon was a soldier i don't remember <laughs> yeah because he said it says howell and it says for carla solomon I have to look that up. I forgot. But they, you know, anyway, they were all like in love with each other in a very They're all in sweet, love with each other. Very sweet. They, they worked sweet, off each other. Enduring you, way. You see that in so many generations. Like you see that also in the 20s when everybody was like all the writers and artists were hanging out in the 1920s. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The 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 generations that came before them we would see these collectives these groups that would yeah fall in love with each other find muses in each other do we still have that like it's kind of like do we still have that we're just Allie, we're doing it right now we're we're a community okay that's nice it's just like think of like tiktok it's so it's so i get worried about our generation but that's pretty normal with all the tiktok and being yeah no it's it's um i think that's human nature i think we're i think artists and like-minded people are always going to find each other and help to create it's just the the you know the playing field has changed 
you know, we're not, yeah, we're not meeting in coffee shops and going to each other's houses to, you know, write music uh, or books or poems or whatever together. We're doing it remotely, you know, we're talking about it on podcasts, we're emailing each other, like, you know, a lot of the things are the same, you know, the game's the same, but the playing field has changed in a lot of ways. So, and we see this in future generations too, you know, beat culture evolved into hippie culture, counterculture movements, all these things. And I, I found it very fascinating to see how many poets emerged because of the beat generation, including, uh, Janine Pommy Vega in the sixties, Patti Smith, the musician in the seventies, Edward Gorski. Absolutely. And, and in 1982, Ginsburg even published a summary of the essential effects of the beat generation. And they are as in included spiritual liberation, sexual revolution or liberation, i.e. gay liberation, somewhat catalyzing women's liberation, black liberation, gray panther activism, liberation of the world from censorship, demystification or and or decriminalization of cannabis and other drugs, the evolution of rhythm and blues into rock and roll as a high art form, as evidenced by the Beatles, Bob Dylan, Janis Joplin, and other popular musicians influenced in the later 50s and 60s by beat generation poets and writers' work, the spread of ecological consciousness emphasized early by Gary Snyder and Michael McClure, the notion of a fresh planet, opposition to the military-industrial complex, as emphasized in writings of Burroughs, Hunky, Ginsburg, and Kerouac, attention to what Kerouac called a second religiousness developing within advanced civilization. Yes, Re- yeah, I agree with that. Return to an appreciation of idiosyncratic values and state versus state regimentation and respect for land and indigenous people and creatures, as proclaimed by Kerouac in his slogan from On the Road, the earth is an Indian thing. So tell the good people, Miss Parsons, let's to- tie a bow on this bee and tell the good people <laughs> why they need to study this particular part of art history. Um, something we we didn't give enough attention to, but I'll, I'll give into this, is that poetry is definitely, especially this era, is a very much a spiritual awakening. It kind of brings, it, it awakens something in you and it speaks to the everyday psyche things that you don't pay attention to you're like that are poetic as simple as like the past and how your father or mother like in Kaddish would walk down the streets to their old neighborhoods like those things are beautiful and poetic and we don't romanticize that enough uh we are nostalgic beings in in nature and poetry has a way of honoring that but definitely this generation had a way of honoring everything like honoring the the human psyche and and people and they really loved Buddhism and they don't we did we forgot to touch base on that um I was going to bring that up before and one reason why I'm a Buddhist and and I loved Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac even though like we talked about like we t- be talking about drugs and all of that stuff and how they got influenced in it Ginsberg did believe that Buddhism and meditation was far superior. Um, and through my experience, yes, it is. Um, and it is their poetry and their writings is very much a, med- a meditative form that I hope if you read will awaken something in you. And definitely if you, if you don't have the um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Like the stanima to read their stuff. Definitely YouTube and read and watch some of the documentaries. And that is very um, educating and enriching for your mind. Well, there you have it, folks. The Beat Generation from top to bottom. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank my guest, Miss Alexander Parsons, for joining us today. But before we go, you know, we got a little extra for you, a little icing on the cake with what we call the gym of the week. It's something we like to talk about that doesn't always fit into the scheme of the episode. It may just be on our radar in the last day, week, or month, but we want to give it to you guys so you guys can dig deeper. Today's gems are brought to you by Zencaster. Zencaster is our go-to tool for remote podcast recordings. What's great is that you can record separate audio and video tracks, and it's all backed up on a secured cloud so you never lose your hard work. Even better, it's easy to use, and there's nothing to download. So go to zen.ai, that's zen.ai slash art of the beholder, or just use promo code art of the beholder and get 30% off your first three months with the pro account. Now back to the gems. Mine is kind of somewhat overlapping with this world. I, most people that know me or just listen to me talk about the things I like on this show know that I love me some standup and some performance value and some all the above. And there is an HBO special uh, by a man named John Early. His special is called Now More Than Ever. It is one part, you know, it's all grounded in comedy. So it's, it's you know, the roots of it is a, just a stand-up comic set, but it also has moments like they'll, he, has a, he has a band behind him and there'll be times where he takes a break to play an entire song for the audience. And at first you're, you think it's going to be this, you know, comedic thing. He's doing covers of hits and he is fucking nailing it. He is such a great singer and performer. I, w- I remember having this moment where my, mo- my mouth kind of dropped of like, damn, this guy's this guy could have just been a singer like he's that good. And and then he'll go back into his comedic sets and then there'll be breaks between those two things of uh, recorded skits like SNL style where they already filmed a skit and then they edited it into the final cut of the show. And um, you get to then see his acting chops, his comedic acting chops with these skits. And it, it it's a lot of things, but it comes together perfectly in the end. It's, it's a great little special. Check it out, guys. John Early. There's a book that I pick up on and off. Um, the writer Pima Chodron. Chodron, I'm probably mispronouncing it. I always mispronounce her last name. She's um, actually a Buddhist. And um, her books are really, they're very good for everyday people. It basically speaks in layman terms because sometimes Buddhist books can be really heady um, and really technical. And it could kind of deter people away from reading some of it. But this one is called Welcoming the Unwelcomed. And it kind of helped me through um, a lot of my grief and um, understanding just the irrational things that happen in the world and kind of just accepting it. So it's, I would recommend picking one of her works up, one of her books up. How do the good people reach out to you if they ever want to connect? Um, Alexandra.com, alexandraparsons.com is my, um, lock it up is my uh, portfolio website, or you can find me on Instagram and on Alexandra underscore parsons or um support some of my my little goodies i make on alexandra parsons co um, on etsy if you like that you can always reach out to us at novadayproductions.com or follow at underscore novo underscore day and day is de and at novaday media and then from there guys you know what to do like subscribe do all the things if you want to be on the show you can reach out to us at our email novadaymedia at gmail.com so until next time we'll see you in the next one so be good to each other and as always good luck and godspeed we love you
Art of the Beholder is brought to you by Novo Day Productions, created and hosted by Novo Day and the Novo Day Collective. Facebook.com slash Novo Day Media, at Novo Day Media on Twitter and Instagram. Music by A Company, Facebook.com slash Aco Music 123, Aco on Spotify. Logo designed by Tom Justice, J E S T U S, of thejusticecompany.com, and executively produced by Clayton Anderson. All rights reserved.